You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Emad, who is the CEO and founder of Blue Drop. Uh, Blue Drop actually started, which is a very fun story, in 1992 uh, when he was studying at Memorial University as a pretend company, but has since turned into all sorts of other companies that now employs more than 900 people, the Blue Drop company employing a quarter of that total. Uh, some highlights uh, from his life, uh, not only has he been a Global Mail's top 40 under 40, uh, Time Magazine's cover story as one of the eight young dynamic entrepreneurs who will create the 21st century. He uh, has one of the beautiful Diamond Jubilee medals, which uh, he's sadly not wearing at the moment, given to him from, from <laughs> Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, speaks at conferences around the world, uh, but really, I think what is a very hot topic right now uh, around reskilling and rapid reskilling. Uh, I am so thrilled to talk to you today about all these things. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So um, we know about some new superheroes thanks to the DC Universe and Marvel Universe and and their amazing origin stories, whether it's Spider Man or Green Lantern or Superman. Um, what's your origin story? How did you get to where you are today and where Blue Drop is doing what it's doing? Well, I think I'm an immigrant, I guess I would start off by saying that. Not a, not a real immigrant, not a card-carrying immigrant, because I came when I was seven, so I did have to learn a new language. But when you're that young, you can kind of pick up on life. But what you get out of being, um, even as a seven-year-old, you get to live in the struggle of, you know, your parents coming over in their mid-30s with no money and no... Uh, no jobs, and my dad went back to get his master's, and you know, and so many sacrifices, so many struggles, typical of an immigrant experience. So I got, I grew up with that. I grew up, uh, you know, uh, uh, helping them write letters if they, you know, as a ten-year-old <laughs> for governments and and so on. And so I think that that's a big part of who I am. My dad was my my hero. He passed away a year ago, but he was a, a great man. Um, and he really uh, showed me sort of the, you know, the power of being open-minded, the power of hard work, and he was extraordinarily kind, and um, I guess I took all that into university. I failed out in my first year of engineering. I decided, even though I was really bad at math, that somehow that would round me out, and I went back and got my degree by by hook or by crook, and then I couldn't get a job in 1992, so we had our class project, uh, that, uh, you know, to get, uh, just to get a good grade. And since there was no jobs, there were no jobs, I decided to try to commercialize our class project, That's sell awesome. it to a company and get a job in Vancouver, actually, where you are, one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, somewhere along the way, um, we decided, geez, this is fun. And, uh, you know, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> and uh, many spinoffs later, uh, as you mentioned, Blue Drop is, uh, you know, zeroed in on, on learning. And um, we spun off a couple of companies that have nothing to do with us now that employ about six or 700 people, all based in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada, which is not known as a hotbed of, of technology, but it really is now. I mean, it wasn't back then. It really, really is a hotbed of technology now. And the funny thing is, back in 92, especially out, out this part of the world, you were crazy to start a company when you were 23 with no money and no experience and no credibility. Nowadays, of course, you know, it's cool to start a company as a, you know, a technology startup straight out of school. 
but back then it wasn't and it was you were you know you really had a chip on your shoulder and so I was obsessed with credibility trying to prove that even though we're in the middle of nowhere and even though I was a nobody and I had no experience and no money we were still a real company and we were still a company that could make a difference and uh, so that was a big part of the uh, the experience that I called it leverage credibility like we 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 went straight to the US to sell stuff because we said no one's going to take it seriously in Canada and we went our first customer was Johns Hopkins University Hospital you know the, arguably the best hospital in the world so we did all these things that were really counterintuitive partly because of that origin story partly because you didn't have the credibility partly because we we had a chip on our shoulder to try to prove that you know we could be somebody's that's amazing. And, and all the while, you're listening to Great Big C, getting inspired every morning, waking up, and which, which is yeah, from your hometown, correct? Good friends of mine, yeah. Uh, really good friends of mine. Uh, I was the vice president of the Beaconsfield High School Student Council. Sean McCann was the president. So we were friends in school. And, and Alan was a good friend of uh it was a good friend of mine. His brother was in engineering with me. And uh, they did something really extraordinary for me, which I didn't realize. Like, we used to see them, you know, they play at the House of Blues in L.A. And we had an office in L.A. for a long time. So, we had, you know, they'd always call me and tell me where they were. And I'd go see them in Ottawa or L.A. or wherever. But I never, I never forgot that, you know, when we started, part of that, that sort of, when I talk about the chip on the shoulder, I didn't really want to talk about being a Newfoundland-based technology company. Because back then, people thought, you can't do that out there. Like... You're also 25, and you have all these things going against you. So I never talked about it. It was sort of like I was proud of it, but I was sort of a closeted <laughs> Newfoundlander and Labradorian. Uh, but when I saw them speak with passion about how much they love this place and the authenticity and the egalitarianism and the, the way that I was accepted as a young immigrant kid when I came here, as, as I was 12 at that point when we left Toronto to come here, uh, I just really, I just said, yeah, that's exactly part of who we are. And I love this place and I love the way that it, it, it adopted me and it made me feel, you know, welcome. And that's one of the reasons I, I was, you know, eager to show that you could do this stuff here. Um, so watching them speak with such passion about their home and where they're from, uh, it really uh, became part of my story. It became part of what, uh, what, what Blue Drop was about and what, what I'm very proud of uh, as well. So why should we care like a, like a rapid reskilling, getting certified, online learning? What's happening with that right now? And, and what are you seeing and what are you hearing? Well, you know, when I graduated with my mechanical engineering uh, degree, um, I would say, you know, there was a shelf life. I don't know how long it was, but whatever it was, it was probably five times as long as it is today. So today, you know, back then you were relevant when you finished your post-secondary Today, relevance is a journey. There's no destination anymore. When I was growing up in the dinosaur days, relevance was a destination. You could get that piece of paper, you could be something, you're relevant. Today, if you're not continuously learning, and you know, you look at the, the number of jobs that the average person has, and even career changes. I think the average person has three or four career changes. So I think societies and governments and industries and all of us as individuals are grappling with that. You have to continuously upskill and reskill. And the post-secondary world that we all grew up with wasn't built for that speed. It's built to give you some of that, obviously, and I still believe in all that. But 
but that's not enough anymore. So, um, you know, we uh, when we spun out uh, in 2004, we got rid of the LA office and two of the divisions that now have, have done so well, which I'm really proud of, although I had nothing to do with their success after we spun them out. Uh, so when we spun them out, I wanted to focus on learning. And right away, because again, we were obsessed with credibility, we went after Cisco, Microsoft. I mean, we uh, I mean, I can't even remember all the clients. It sounds like it's made up, right? Johnson & Johnson, like pick an alphabet soup of the world's biggest. Yeah. That's who our clients were. Wow. And around 2008, four or five years in, you know, we, we, we fired most of them nicely. Uh, that yeah. sounds very arrogant. No. But I just thought that, you know, learning was not about them. They were going to be okay. And they had, we had lots of competitors that were coming up. And, you know, so even though we were really early in the early days of developing e-learning for, for those companies and the Pfizer's and the Dell's and so on, the, the truth was that, you know, they were going to be okay. Um, it was becoming more accessible. They were doing a lot more internally. I was thinking then, what happens to all the people that are left behind, all the small businesses that have no way to really develop their talent? What happens with governments and industry groups that are saying we're going to be struggling with this wave of change in the workplace and how do we cope with it? So we just shifted. We fired all these, you know, pedigree, you know, <laughs> clients with, you know, huge brand name clients. And we, we zeroed in on two things. We have a defense and aerospace group that, that has done really well uh, because, you know, they were really adopting technology for mission training and like search and rescue. And, you know, every time we buy a ship or a plane or a, a boat, there has to be training. So we wanted to do large projects where we thought we had particular strength and we got, you know, multi-million dollar large projects and big accounts uh, and big partnerships. And then we wanted to work on the workforce, you know, small businesses, uh, you know, groups that are left behind, immigrants, um, the people with barriers, um, you know, governments, of course, are very focused on that, uh, industry groups, regulators. How do, you, how do you train and upskill and track credentials in this crazy world that's changing at that speed? That's, that's incredible. And as far as uh, kind of what you're seeing as far as adoption, are you seeing like higher ed universities, colleges saying, oh, I think we can do this. We'll try it. Or is it saying, hey, they have an amazing purpose like networking, connections, relationships, whereas these you know micro credentials or badges or certifications, that's something that can be done separately, but with industry. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think it's a co a coexistence because I think uh, there, you know again I'm not you know a lot of people have m much more sort of um, negative uh, uh, have a negative prognosis for the post secondary world. I, I'm not one of them. I think they have a, a an important role, and I think uh, they'll continue on. Although I, I do think a lot of them will disappear over the next thirty years. But you're still gonna you're still gonna have uh, post-secondary is important in people's lives. But, but what happens is, yeah, industry-driven credentials, because industry is basically saying, okay, fine, you know, we, 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 we can get the formal uh, post-secondary stuff, we can do longer-term solutions, but how do you adapt in real time to real skilling um, challenges and continuously improve? And that's micro-credentials, that's getting into VR and AR, that's getting into... Um, getting the credibility for that that comes from the employers. Fundamentally, what people want, and that's the only sort of, that's the barrier with badges, is, is it's no good for EMAT to say this is a good badge, you know. 
it what matters is you know Microsoft that says this is a good badge or you know this industry group says it's a good badge and fundamentally forgetting all that my boss my new employer the place I'm applying for a job says this is a good badge and and uh, companies are realizing and as industry groups that they've got to come together to kind of put it out there because it will not happen fast enough if you just leave it uh, to post-secondary they have their role but not this revolution that we're going through we're going through the most profound change I think in the history of work um, I, you know there, obviously there's been several uh, industrial revolutions before but I don't think that people have a sense of how fast it's moving like in 1900 knowledge was doubling every hundred years now uh, you know, people are talking about a doubling, you know, in, in 12 or 13 hours very soon. Uh, you know, the amount of data, I think, in 2017 was the same amount of data collect as collected in the previous 5,000 years combined. So these are crazy, crazy statistics, and we're all trying to survive <laughs> and keep track of this. Uh, and so how do you train for that world? You can only do it through... Uh, completely innovative ways that respond in real time and on demand. And that's not what post-secondary is, is meant to be. I mean, it, it absolutely has a role, but that's not it. Yeah. And I, I've seen it where, you know, groups that have tried to do the micro-credentialing, you know, typically there's a 12 to 18-month curriculum adjustment review. So if the, the badges change or the requirements change for a certain area they they can't change it quickly because the, the structure is in place not to you know to hold that accountability to hold that really good revered you know syllabi and curriculum for these you know respected pillars of, of education and Darian I have to say I don't want to I don't want to flatter you but I'm very impressed with what you're doing with, uh, with Jelly Academy right that's very impressive like I mean because it's industry driven right we're trying, yeah, yeah, and, and well, and that's what we're trying to do because it's like, like even I have a fifteen-year-old son, so my wife and I were talking last week, and and we're talking about our son, like it's what you do as parents, and it's like, you know, I, we're we're expecting him and thinking, I'd love for him to go to university. Like my wife and I both had an amazing experience at university. I actually never graduated and I never finished my degree, but mm -hmm. the social aspect and the friendships I've made. Um, it's funny enough, I, even today, I posted on Facebook yesterday saying I'm looking for a, a curriculum writer who's from northern Canada, from the Yukon or Northwest Territories, and, and a friend from university wrote and said, Darian, I'm actually a curriculum writer now. I live in the Yukon. And I was like, I wouldn't have that connection if I hadn't gone and, you know, stumbled around university for, you know, a few years. So, um, but when it comes to, like, getting a job and getting a career in what we call, like, the new collar world, you know, there's blue collar and white collar how do we, and I think we're struggling with it every day and every quarter and every week, is how do we continue to stay up and on top of new color um, training? So, so that's my question. So how does Blue Drop do it? How do you make sure that you are staying relevant, timely, uh, you know, not getting stale uh, for these new, uh, new jobs? You, you, I, I think it, it, the closer you are to industry, uh, the more successful you'll be. Like I have a saying I give to entrepreneurial, you know, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial groups when I talk to them, and I always tell them that the ones that are talking to customers first, those are the startups that are going to make it. The ones that are kind of like, I got a great idea, you know, I don't want to tell anybody because somebody's going to steal it, and I'm working on this in my basement until it's ready. They're the ones that almost always are the ones in the the majority, unfortunately, that that don't make it. So I think it's the same thing with, with training. The closer you are and the faster that you're talking and getting that feedback, 
from the people that matter, which is our, our employers, uh, that's where success is. And, and, you know, there's a supply and demand equation on every uh, everything that we deal with in life, on every industry, on every, you know. And if you think about it, like most of the training world is focused on supply. Mm. Like it, it fundamentally comes out of supply, like our employment centers come out of the supply. Supply is we have a lot of unemployed people we're trying to help. And again, in our work, and we work in the, in the U.S., we worked in the L.A. Uh, County in, in Long Beach, one of the, uh, one of the larger um, workforce investment boards in, in, in the country. And what I found that's really interesting is, uh, again, you can work with the demand. The demand side is where it matters. Um, the demand side is what our employer is looking for. It sounds so obvious, but you, you look at most of our orientation is we're going to help because, you know, that's where the need is. You're dealing with unemployed people in a lot of cases and you're trying to help them or underemployed people or people that are trying to move up in a company. And yes, you want to, you know, a lot of people come from a social work background they come, they want to help the, you know, help people with barriers to get jobs. We're all about that. Like I, that get, that's very fulfilling work. At the same time, you can't make a difference if you're not on the other side, talking to employers um, as much or more about what do you really need. That's that's great advice. It's really good. And and Blue Drop, like, does it have? Is, is it the, the technology that can facilitate? It's the it's the the system that can give the credentials out. Like, tell me about kind of the the, the Blue Drop DNA. Yeah, so on the on the uh, on the St. John's division, the Blue Drop ISM division, which is where I spend most of my my time, uh, the vast majority of my time, I love working there. That's the group that's working in this workforce development world. We have so Blue Drop ISM has a platform called Skills Pass, and in Canada right now, there's close there are close to three million workers that their credentials are being tracked on it. So it has to be something that everyone trusts. Governments are using it. So in six or seven uh, seven different provinces. Um, either a workers' compensation board or a ministry of labor or department of labor have, are using it as a system of record to deliver training and to track credentials. Because if you think about it, you know, look at healthcare and healthcare and skills development have a similar trajectory. Just skills are a little bit further behind. In healthcare, we started, you know, as we got more and more um, sophisticated, and there are more and more services, more and more tests. And people started looking at it as individuals saying, I want to manage my own, my own health. You know, I want to get that whole picture. I want to have almost, you know, electronic medical record, almost a portfolio. And I want to be able to share that when I go into a pharmacy so they don't give me something that's contraindicated or show it to my doctor or show it to. So it's the idea of, you know, patient-centered health care where you're really, um, uh, as a, you're really tracking your own uh, um, assets in, in health and your own data in health. And I think that we're getting to the point where skills have the same kind of issue that you can't, in order for you to succeed in the work world and make your way in the world, you need to kind of have a, a, a digital wallet where you're tracking all your credentials. Uh, they're validated, you know, uh, their governments are comfortable using it. You know, it's not just something that, you know, anybody can kind of create. And I think we're lucky, at least in, in Canada, and we're certainly trying to do it elsewhere, in Canada, we have by far the the digital wallet for Canada. There, like I said, there's almost three million workers. Six or seven provinces have adopted it uh, for regulatory training, and we can deliver the training. We can aggregate it. When you go to a site, you want to know that everything on that site is is an approved 
training resource, an approved training provider, approved e-learning. So that's what we have in our in our uh, in our portfolio. We have a marketplace. We have the ability to deliver the training. We have the ability to track it uh, for worker for life. We have the ability for businesses to 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 interact with the individuals and share in a secure environment. We're doing the same things when I think about it as they're doing in electronic health records. No, it's incredible because I'm watching from a like a trainer perspective where it's like LinkedIn is trying to use their credential pieces like LinkedIn's learning and then a credible which is trying to, you know, they, that's who Facebook Meta has been using. And then Thinkific then creates their own credentials saying, we'll use ours. So it's almost like it's so scattered right now. I love the fact that you're, cre- you're creating a national government uh, kind of approved, uh, you know, body like that. That's really, really cool. Yeah, and, and an excellent point because obviously there are people doing it in the private world and, yeah. you know, uh, you mentioned some of them. But, yeah, in the government world when you're doing, you know, mandatory health and safety training, for example, or you're just doing upskilling that's provided through, you know, a government program or an, or an industry program, that's the territory that we want we want to own. And I, I'm happy to say we do own it in, in this country. Yeah, that's amazing. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And then I, because I, I think the sad part in this is that I've watched people like throw something up on, uh, you know, some sort of LMS and create their own badge that they've just put together. It's not tracked or numbered and, and, and the training's not very good. There's no accountability. There's, you know, and so they assume and they've been sold. And the worst part is the student who pays for that course has been sold. This is awesome. And it's industry recognized because it's like yes. the national social media marketing certificate when it's like 99.9% of industries never heard of it because it was just like yeah. guy created it one weekend. And and yes. so I think that's the concern because I think we're in that time period. I think you said it well where 
people need the rapid reskilling, they need these certificates, but who's going to hold them accountable and where's that hub? Where's that marketplace? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we want to, so what we, we, we allow different clients to have their own marketplace and their own hub, but then it's all part of the national um, uh, infrastructure that, that can be used. And you're getting into a lot of mobility issues between provinces and, and that kind of thing. And we're really fortunate that, you know, we were bleeding edge. It wasn't easy. And I can't even, I don't even want to pretend that we knew what we were doing when we came up with this concept 10 years ago. But over time, it's becoming more and more clear that, you know, the world, certainly Canada, needs that ability to have a trusted resource that allows for mobility of workers. Um, because there's a, the, the other thing that we discovered as we worked in some of these industries is how much retraining is done by companies. You know, like if you look at the trucking world, for example, it's, 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 it's astronomical. Like, Basically, I've heard a couple of groups say it. You go back to kindergarten every time you go to a new uh, carrier, a new trucking company as, as your employer, because they, don't, they haven't come together and said, you know, we all agree that this is good training and we can trust it as a resource. So some of these things will reduce cost, will allow for people uh, to be more employable, will sort of show them a path upwards. I mean, there's a lot of social good. There's a lot of economic good. But without it, it's just everybody's in a silo and we're all just going to the beat of our own drum. And that's not that's not going to work for people. No. And, and, and when you look at the industry, like, there's a great show example out there called Suits that was you know filmed in Toronto where, you know, a guy practiced as a lawyer but never passed the bar. Right. And, and it just shows, you know, the, the, you know, spoiler alert, at the end of the show is, you know, you, you need to pass the bar to practice as a lawyer. A lot of people get in a lot of trouble. Um and, and CPAs, accountants, they've got their CPA and, and they've got it national. And they've they got great national advertising campaigns saying hire a CPA. Uh, electricians have their tickets. And, and so with you, as you look at like the CPA and these other acronyms and electricians tickets, are you seeing it happening more? Are you seeing more and more people realizing this is needed? Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right. That's that's kind of what's needed in the world. <laughs> um, well, let me let me re, re, rephrase that. I think when you talk about those kinds of credentials, and you know, those are very clear pathways. Everybody understands that you have your your ticket to do this job or that job. You have your, you know, your medical degree, your CPA, you know, all of those things. But I think in order to kind of deal with the rapid pace of of chaos and confusion and change that's happening in so many industries and everybody, especially small businesses, trying to do their own thing. What's really needed is for industries to come together and we've seen it and they say, well, we all agree that this training uh, in the trucking world, we're seeing a big move towards that. We all agree that we all do similar training in, in large trucking companies. So why can't we come together? And, you know, we might have our own add on. There's a certain way that our company does certain things. But certainly 80% of it is the same. And it's even the same in different provinces. And so, um, so that's what we're trying to help organize, um, you know, industry by industry. It's obviously a very specific and custom thing. And you'll find that there's a consensus, but there's got to be some real vision and real leadership. And our clients always tend to be visionaries. They tend to be leaders. Even though this is not sort of science fiction, this is not a radical concept, for whatever reason, I guess we've had, you know, many, many years 
of doing things in a very uh, siloed approach, um, in a very sort of company-specific approach. And now I think workers and companies both realize that you know there's no other way unless 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 companies come together and industries come together and governments in some cases help make that happen um it's not easy like if you look at the way that training is um you know corporate training is today versus say 30 or 40 years ago 30 or 40 years ago companies expected to do a lot of training when they hired someone um Today, they're basically saying, I want them to hit the ground running. I don't want to invest in it. And all of the soci sociological uh, changes, the, the, you know, the fact that labor um, and the cultural shifts, it's so transactional now. So you know, employees are looking at companies saying, well, I know that you don't have any loyalty to me, that I could be gone tomorrow if there's ever a problem. So there's that cynicism that you know, an employer isn't going to be around for you. You're just, they're just sort of, you know, using you to, to get some level of productivity. And then workers, uh, then, then employers feel the same. Well, I'm not going to invest in you. And it's sort of, we, we have this terrible, you know, <laughs> terrible standoff between, and I think the companies that are doing well, by the way, are the ones that actually invest in developing their people. Because in a world where you can work anywhere from your home, uh, you're, all, you're already not in the office thanks to COVID, um, so how do you how do you get that loyalty? The, the number one thing that you have going for you, it's not money because there's always going to be someone somewhere else in the world that can pay more than you. Yep. Especially now, <laughs> you know, you, you it's, you're not competing with people across town or even across the country. Everybody can work anywhere in the world. So what's left? You know, what's left is the culture of the company, the values of the organization, the fit, and what am I going to learn? And and are they going to develop me? And when I started, it was so funny, like, because I don't think that we're there anymore, but I used to try to convince companies uh, that, you know, that there was a great saying, um, you know, what's worse than investing in your people and losing them, not investing in them and keeping them. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> and that was a great saying. And people say, yeah, yeah. But there was a sense, like, if I train them up, they're going to just go across the street and... I mean, and, and so the argument was, well, if you don't train them up, you, you know, you're not going to get the productivity and the value that you want. But it's even bigger than that today, because in this transactional world, it's much bigger and much, much more profound than that. If you're not training them, you're 100 percent not keeping them. Yeah, it, it's, it's not about them going across the street. They're not staying unless they're developing and growing in your firm. And, and to say what you're saying, too, would it be if you train them, maybe in, say, like, let's say they, you, they have a job at uh, Sally's Widgets. And, and they take training in Sally's Widgets, like, oh, I'll give you training, but it's Sally's Widgets training. And it's, you know, the, the brand's there, and the logo's on the little piece of paper they give you. Um, they're like, okay, I can't really take this over to Jimmy's Widgets, right, in the next province, because it won't work. But if there happens to be a national or a global body that that's kind of like Universal Widgets training that Sally's willing to pay for you to do, then it's like, okay, so you're willing to pay for me, and I, even though I could use it over at Jimmy's Widgets, you're going to invest in me. A hundred percent. I'm just thinking we got to get rid of all our Sally's Widgets content out of the marketplace. Uh, but no, no, you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, they want they want you to invest in them for more than just what's going to be useful at Sally's Widgets, yeah. and they want credentials that make them feel that they're more employable. It's funny because it comes down to confidence and security. Yeah. The more secure and more confident I am in my abilities, 
And the more that I feel that way with, 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 with you know, my employer as my partner in that security, the less likely I am to leave them. The, the less secure I am, uh, you know, and, and the, the more likely I am to leave. Like if I'm feeling I'm not progressing because people know that they have a shelf life. Their skills have a shelf life. Yeah. So if they feel like, geez, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not learning. Uh, Sally's widgets is only trying to teach me how to make Sally widgets. And, you know, eventually I'll, I won't be employable anywhere else. That makes people nervous, understandably, with, with what's going on in the world and the pace of change. So you're right. It, 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 they want that more sort of, I care about you. It's not just you're doing a job for me. I care about you. I care about you developing broader than what you're doing for me. And, you know, if you're developing as a person, I'm benefiting as a company. Forget what your job is and forget how it aligns. I think people want to feel, um, want to feel that, that, that broader commitment to them than just uh, I'll do, give you enough to just do your job. Yeah. And, and I think you're speaking to like folks in marketing, advertising, this world, this is probably one of the most unregulated world when, it, when it's SEO or digital ads and PR, social media, uh, you know, there's credentials coming out all over the wazoo. So I'm excited that there could be one day, maybe six months, a year from now, a, a marketplace, national marketplace that has, you know, government recognized credentials that are held accountable. I, I, I love that concept and idea. Yeah, and what you're doing, I mean, I think is so great because you're getting people into into the industry, and um, you know, in terms of Jelly Academy, and and you know, and, and yeah, and, and the big players, the big companies involved in the space are are recognizing. I mean, it, it's exactly actually, and again, uh, I, I I don't mean to flatter you, but I, I'm really impressed with with that 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 approach, right? And and you can see it, like you're you're getting the results, you're getting. You know the the job placements. You're getting people into the industry. Yeah. I think you. I think I read that you have eighty percent of pe- people are you know promoted within a, a period of time. That's cool. So that's that's phenomenal. That you're you're actually you're actually just making my case for me, right? Because but, you're right. It's a complete wild west industry, and you've you've done it in a way that really speaks to everything everything we believe in. But I'll give you this. So here's here's the dilemma I have to deal with. I I have angry uh, emails in my inbox because. Every quarter, like we did what you said to do. Okay, here's here's the dilemma for you. We did what you said to do. Every quarter, we go to industry. Over 600 people in industry weigh in on our course curriculum, like what you told us to do. They give feedback, they give input, and it's life-changing, right? It's what directs our syllabi, and we adjust it, and we tweak it. Uh, we actually went through the process of becoming a private training institute, and the folks there actually said, don't. This would destroy your course because if you're updating it every quarter, you're not allowed to within the private training institute world. Um, but this group is like, okay, amazing, 600 of them. So every quarter, you know, whenever we have a cohort graduating, we, they all get hired and it's amazing. But then these stakeholders are like, well, where are my people? Because they come to us and like, hey, we want some of your grads. And they're like, where did they go? So we're not <laughs> producing enough grads to keep them motivated to give us, you know, four to five hours every quarter to give feedback. So I'm trying to figure out a way to like keep them happy because they're giving us their time for free to invest in our curriculum. Yeah. Um, but it's that dilemma of, of that's a, I mean, there's no better problem to have. Right. And again, the demand side is what drives what you do. And and I, you know, the little I know of you, I know that you really care about the people that you're helping to, you know, get new careers. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like there's a real satisfaction of, of helping people. But sometimes, like I said, you know, in our world, when we, especially when we deal with governments and industry yeah. groups and, you know, career centers and not-for-profits that are trying to help various groups with barriers to get into employment, 
they're so focused on the supply side, the people that have the need, and the need is great, um, that you really got to go backwards. Like, even though your heart is with the people that you're helping to get jobs, you've got to live and start from, it's, it's, it's classic marketing, isn't it? Yeah. You start from the customer and yeah. you work backwards. Yeah. You don't start from the product idea yeah. and work forwards, right? It's the same issue in training. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, people who have never been to Newfoundland, what, what, is, what is something they need to see, need to check out and experience if they've never been? Well, uh, our, uh, the Blue Drop, uh, no, I would love to say the Blue Drop palm trees, that, but they died on, on our roof because I'm obsessed with palm trees. Yeah. Uh, and I had a couple on our roof there for a while, a couple years back. Um, no, I, I mean, Saint, like, first of all, Newfoundland, you can't go there and not, well, I guess you could, but I, I've met very few that, that would say that. You can't go there without loving the people. Yes. So if you're sort of a, a person that enjoys, you know, authentic people that are, you know, they have just a, a, a native, inter, you know, friendliness and, and welcome and excitement to see people visiting from other places, that I think everybody's struck by that. And of course, with, with, with nice, cute, uh, interesting accents that sound like Ireland and uh, other parts uh, uh, that way. Uh, I think that that, that would be um, something that you, you would just love. And then, of course, all the music and mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the live music and the Irish and the Celtic music. Like, so all of those things are great. And then the scenery is, you know, I mean, you're from a place with spectacular natural scenery, of course, uh, on Vancouver area. But we have, you know... Um, we have so many just neat, windswept little communities, you know, hanging by their fingernails at, on the edge of the ocean, you know, and it's so rugged and it's so spectacular. And then there's icebergs and whales and, you know, capelin that come in, like millions of fish that come in and a couple of weeks uh, in the sun. They're just, I don't even know where to, and then the food is, oh. is great. We have some fantastic dining, especially in St. John's that, you know, with, uh, really a, a mixture of local flavors and sort of fusion and really great restaurants for a place of this size, like fantastic. I, I, I just, yeah, I can't say enough good. I mean, it's not, it's not New York, you, you know, it's not, uh, it's not Toronto, it's not Vancouver. Um, I think what people want is authentic experiences. They don't want to, we've all been to sort of X city that you could replace it with another city anywhere in North America. You're in one of the, the cities of the world that you can't say that about, you know, it's such a neat city. But in general, uh, there are a lot of cities that, you know, you can swap one in and out for the other. St. John's isn't one of those. Um, you know, our, our, when we talked about uh, on our, you know, our call uh, last time, when we talked about, you know, marketing, um, you know, Newfoundland uh, was one of the first places to do these really just different, like we had clotheslines with clothes blowing in the wind in our ads and people thought that that was crazy, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But they were making a point. You, you're as far away from Disney as you could yeah. possibly get. Yeah. You know, this is as authentic as it gets. There's a house that's someone's actual clothesline and we have clothes blowing in the wind in our commercials for why to visit. And it says, and, and all the ads always say, call Pauline or call Francis. Like it, like it's, because it's true. You go there, it is the people more than just the ocean views and the incredible seafood. Um, I got asked this. So I, I spent some time in Gander, Newfoundland. And I want to say, was I screeched? Is that the term? I, I don't know. Yeah, screeched in. Yeah, you're I screeched was in. Yeah. Okay. And so I kissed a, a fish 
and I drank some like really strong rum of some sort. Is that what yeah, I did? Screech. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Screeched, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was that what I'm trying to think of what my memory, I'm trying to rec recollect all the, is that what happens? You kiss a fish and you drink a drink, right? Is that this being screeched? Yeah. Yeah. You, you say a bunch of things, yep. uh, you know, that, that are, you know, Newfoundland sayings and you, 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 you kiss the, uh, the cod, kiss the cod yeah. on the lips. Uh, and I think if you're from certain places in the world, you have to French kiss the cod, yeah, okay. um, yeah. but mostly you get away with just kissing yeah. it. And uh, then you have the screech yeah. and uh, it's, it's a great little, yeah. it's a great little ceremony, isn't it? It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. Are you ready for a rapid fire round? You feeling ready? Take some rapid. Sorry? Are you good for some rapid fire questions now? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. So these are just quick, quick ones about your, uh, you know, some, some fun facts about you. What was your first ever job? I'm still in it. That's <laughs> great. Well, I mean, uh, oh yeah, sorry. Like as a kid, I was delivering, uh, you know, um, I was delivering, you know, newspapers. I, I guess, but but as a as an adult, like finished university, yeah. I've never had a job. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, night owl or early bird? Complete night owl. Yeah. Cat or dog person? Uh, cat. Well, I'm Egyptian, so I have to say cat. But I, I do I do like dogs as well. But I cats. By a little bit. That's awesome. What's the first thing that you ever had to market? Oh, uh, well, I think I uh, I had to um, I had to convince people um, to buy. I was putting up our RESP, you know, brochures for a client, and I was getting paid, you know, to put them in stores, and I had to convince them to you know, uh, do that because it benefited. I had no idea what RESPs were, but I remember going door to door trying to convince uh, business owners to let me put my, my, my brochures in their store. That's great. Um, dark or milk chocolate? Oh, dark. Yeah, I don't even know why that's a question. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite word right now? My favorite word right now, uh, I've been saying, we have, uh, I had a guy in my class, and I've been just saying it a lot lately, because everything is hard right now at work, uh, we're doing a lot of challenging things, so it's P-O-C-N-T-I, which of course you know, uh, no, I'm sure you don't, uh, a guy in my class used to say, piece of cake, nothing to it, oh. and so P-O-C-N-T-I is the, the That is great, that's a great saying. Um, P-O-C-N-T-I, piece of cake, nothing to it. Love it, I love it. Um, what is the last charity that you supported financially or with your time and why? Oh, uh, we, we're, we're doing a lot now on the refugee, yeah. uh, uh, you know, crisis, of course, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So I've been really involved with that. I'm involved with, uh, I mean, refugee causes. I have some refugees in my own family, so mm -hmm. I'm very much attuned to those things. Um, interestingly, my late father and I, I got a call from Operation Smile. I really like, you know, they yeah. help with cleft palate and so on. And, yeah. and uh, the woman called me when my dad was still alive in his last month or two of life. And mm -hmm. she said, are you related to Adel Ruskell? And I said, yeah. She said, oh, I have a call with him right after you. And it was amazing because my dad just completely separately was also supporting them because wow. it really got to him, you know, to help a child smile yeah. meant a lot. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, what's a movie that you just love you can watch over and over and over again? Oh, my. Um, I really liked... Oh, there's just so many movies. Um, that's a tough one. Um, uh, can we come back to that yeah, one? Or? Totally, totally. Um, favorite song or album on repeat right now? 
I'm a huge U2 fan, so I just listen to them yeah. constantly and anything from, you know, the last two or three albums yeah. to going right back to uh, the beginning. Uh, so I've been playing uh, Kite. Yeah. I, I love that song. It reminds me of my, my father. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes you can't make it on your own. Also yeah. reminds me of my, my father. So, mm. yeah, I'm listening to those a lot. Cool. Fun fact, um, Bono makes a appearance in Sing 2, the animated TV, uh, oh really? Yeah, as the uh, as the uh, uh, lion, it, it, it's incredible. He, he, he sings and acts in in the show. So you're uh, kidding! No, wow. Yeah. So yeah, uh, fun fact of the day. Um, and this might be a hard one for you. If you weren't doing this job right now, say in another multiverse, what would you be doing with your life? If you could. Uh, I think well, it's funny. I did a, a did one of those career, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that a lot of our clients would use. You know, yeah, like yeah. what job would you be good at? And yeah. the funny thing was. So the last one was police officer. Oh, wow. uh, for whatever reason, I would make a terrible police officer. Uh, but the top two were psychologist and business promoter. So if I wasn't, I, I love working with uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think I'd find some kind of job where I could mentor startups, yeah. you know, pr pr maybe ideally in, in developing countries and ideally people you know, overcoming barriers, but setting up cool businesses to help out their communities. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, what's an app on your phone you just can't live without? Uh, I, I'm addicted to LinkedIn because yeah. uh, I just constantly read uh, yeah. what's going on. And I, I'm not really a Facebook person, yeah. but I, I have to say that LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn. Your, uh, your favorite children's book? My favorite children's book. Um, well, I actually write uh, books for my son. Um, so I love to, I just, it's funny because I was just looking at uh, my mom was visiting. So there's a whole bunch of them that I wrote for my oldest son, who's wow. now would be embarrassed about by them. Uh, so yeah, I like to just read those books because it reminds me of my kids when they were growing up. That's really cool. Um, one of my favorite books actually uh, was uh, a gift from a father to his children. It was a guy, he's Canadian. Uh, William Young wrote a book called The Shack, and it was a gift to his children. Oh, and and a, I love that book. Yeah. Okay, a, a few of his friends got a copy of it, and and one of them said, "You got to publish this," and and all the publishers turned him down, uh, including yeah. uh, Zondervan and HarperCollins. And so he just I'll try self-publishing it, and it became a New York Times bestseller. So yeah, great book, yeah. great book, yeah. Um, yeah, and a movie as well. They, they since made a, a movie. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was a movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. Um, I actually watched the movie on a plane, and I'm getting off the plane, and I'm like crying. Like, I get all tears stained <laughs> and bloodshot eyes. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. Um, what's the most important thing you ever changed your mind about? Well, when I failed out of engineering, yeah. um, I, uh, so I, did, I started um, in... I guess it doesn't matter, 1987, um, and I failed, and I hadn't failed, you know, anything academically before, mm -hmm. and I was devastated, yeah. and I was humiliated, and I was, you know, very, very determined to go to Vancouver, and I was going to go to university there, and my dad, I asked my dad for a loan to go over there, and he said, not a good time financially, mm -hmm. and uh, he told me after that, of course, he couldn't loan me the money to go to Vancouver, uh, so thanks to him. Anyway, I changed my mind because I could have raised the money some other way. Yeah. If I had gone to Vancouver, I wouldn't have gone back with the class that I failed into. 
and graduated, and those were the those those were the guys that we started the company with. So Incredible. I'm just so happy that I didn't give up and and go to Vancouver like I was determined to do. That's awesome. Um, business or marketing book that you'd recommend? I love everything. I, we we just used um, the, the Advantage book by yep. Patrick Lencioni yeah. um, to really help us with strategic planning and and setting our objectives, you know, and thematic goals and values. And I I love. I love, you know, it's their business books, but he has a spiritual sort of element to it, you know, and how it's, I just, I just love the way he makes it relevant and not just about, you know, being a business that's just generating money. It's bigger than that. That's awesome. Um, is there a, a newsletter or podcast that you love for resources and inspiration? Uh no, I I, I, I I just have so many different sources yeah. that I, I wouldn't be able to pick just one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I um, no, just lots of different stuff, yeah. to be honest. Uh, yeah, lots of different no, stuff. No, it's great. No, it's great. Yeah, it, 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 which is good. It, it keeps things uh, you know diverse in your life instead of just getting it from one source. It's awesome. Uh, any closing comments, thoughts, uh, and how can people get hold of you? Uh, well, yeah, they. I, I would love to say I'm not much of a Twitter, yeah. <laughs> a Twitter user. I mean, I could give my 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 handle uh, at Risbolo, but then I was just thinking, why would I tell people to go there? I hardly ever tweet. Facts. You could fax me. Page. I would pager. You got a pager? <laughs> yeah, Telex is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, carrier uh, pigeon. A carrier pigeon, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I will. Yeah, my email is emat at bluedrop.com. So if people want to reach out to yeah. me, emat at bluedrop.com. I'm, I'm somewhat active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I'd lo I'm, I'm always open to hearing from, from people on you know, anything, right? I just, it keeps things interesting. And I usually, after I do any kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, media or, or podcast yeah. or, yeah, I hear from people, and actually, that well, that's how we met. Yeah. Uh, I did a podcast uh, uh, for for uh, for Tech and L yeah. uh, for the industry in Newfoundland, yeah. and I think you heard yeah. it, I guess, yeah. and you contacted me, yeah. so it was good. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. No, it was great. Thank you. That was wonderful. I enjoyed it. So uh, this show is brought to you by uh, Discipline. Uh, Iman and I, our, our last time we attempted to do a recording, we just talked the whole time and never hit record. So we uh, hit record this time. You got to hear our conversation. Um, so the discipline of remembering to hit record uh, is a great thing. And again, when you meet a Newfoundlander, you can't help but want to just chat and share. And, and you, uh, if you get the chance to visit, this, this episode is not brought to you by Tourism Newfoundland and Labrador. But if you get the <laughs> chance to visit, please do. It, it is a... Uh, place that you will never forget and it is a beautiful beautiful place both the the landscape and the people uh, amen and we will see you next time on marketing news canada thanks for listening to marketing news canada for more episodes and other great stories from canadian marketers visit marketingnewscanada.com all episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose.
Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.